Well, it's the first week of Advent liturgically, with Christmas still a month away. But the culture has absolutely kicked off the holidays, and the season is already in full swing. Hopefully, this sprint from Thanksgiving to Christmas is full of fun and full of joy for you and your family. It's also usually, for many, a season of hope. And if there's a number one hope for the holidays, an overriding hope, a universal hope, many people would probably, probably say it's peace, peace. We look forward to the promise of peace, though the details of that will be different from person to person for sure. Maybe, maybe you're hoping for a white Christmas and enjoying that especially peaceful experience of a snowy evening spent at home doing absolutely nothing. Maybe you look forward to the peace that comes only after you've completed your exams, submitted that paper, and the semester is finally over. Or maybe you look forward to that magic moment of Christmas Eve after you put the kids to bed, the gifts are wrapped and all arranged, and you can simply sit by the soft glow of the Christmas tree, peace. I know for myself, the quintessential mo moment of perfect peace in my heart each Christmas comes at the end of our Christmas Eve Mass, when we light the Christmas candles as we do each year in a firmly established tradition here. It's a moment of real grace that surely isn't lost on anyone present. And if you're local this Christmas, I hope you'll join us in person here on Ridgely Road to be a part of that very special experience. By the way, our entire Advent Christmas schedule are, are available on our website starting today. For some reason, the Advent Christmas season, more than any other time of the year, seems to put into focus our heart's desire for peace. And while we think of peaceful experiences or peaceful environments, moments of peace and feelings of peace, the heart's desire for peace goes far beyond those experiences and environments, far deeper than those moments or feelings. And perhaps now, more than ever before in the life experience of most all of us here, we feel that desire in an urgent kind of way given the world around us and current events. The war in the Ukraine is savage and brutal and evil, but far from the only conflict on the world stage, conflicts that leave us frightened and confused. And meanwhile, there is this ceaseless violence, endless violence, escalating violence in most every community across our country and sadly also here at home. Not to mention, a growing incivility experienced anywhere, everywhere, arising from political chaos and corruption, the ongoing cultural wars, and a basic lack of respect for one another. And frankly, we ourselves can be our own worst enemies when it comes to peace of mind, what with the worry, fear, and anxiety we find ourselves dealing with. The collective experience of all of it ensures that peace remains elusive.
Many people are feeling this quiet. Maybe you are feeling this disquiet. This is where our desires and God desires intersect. Did you know that all the Scripture pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited, often-promised Savior of the people whose coming Advent remembers? All the Scripture describes a correlation between the arrival of the Messiah and the establishment of peace. Those two things go together. For instance, on Christmas Eve, we'll read from the ninth chapter of Isaiah, for a child is born to us, a son is given, they name him Prince of Peace. The Messiah will be a prince, a ruler of peace. Then, at the birth of John the Baptist, whose birth is closely associated with Jesus, John's father, Zechariah, has his own prophecy about the Messiah. He said, the tender mercy of God will shine on those who sit in darkness to guide our feet in the path of peace. The promised Prince of Peace will forge a path to peace. And probably the most famous passage of all, because Linus quotes it in Charlie Brown Christmas, is from the Gospel of Luke when the angels appear to the shepherds and announce peace on earth. The promised Prince of Peace will forge a path of peace that will establish definitively and finally peace for the whole people. Scripture tells us that's what God wants. So, we want peace. God wants peace for us. Why does peace seem so elusive? And what can we do to find it in a more substantial way and hold on to it? To help us answer that question, we're going to look briefly at another passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is read at Mass throughout the Advent and Christmas seasons, and here's why. While Isaiah lived about 600 years before Christ, and obviously before the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written, his book is sometimes called the Fifth Gospel because he writes so much about the Messiah and foretells, in some instances with amazing detail, the work the Messiah will undertake. Like us, Isaiah lived in a time of disquiet and disruption. International and national politics were unstable. There was corruption at all levels of government, especially in the capital city of Jerusalem, which is where he lived. There was hypocrisy among the religious leaders. The nation was in rebellion against God. If some of this sounds familiar, it can serve as a reminder to us that the situations described in the Bible often mirror our own, despite their distance. In the first chapter, Isaiah outlines these problems, but then in the second chapter, and more hopefully, he looks to the future. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days to come. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths, that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths. 
In ancient times, mountains were often considered sacred places that people went to to connect with their gods. Think of the story of Moses on Mount Sinai. The reference to days to come is a specific reference to the arrival of the Messiah. So Isaiah foresees a day when the God of Israel stands above all the pagan gods, a time when all people, not just Jews, will come to worship the one true God, to learn His ways and to walk in His paths. To learn His ways and to walk in His path. The primary reason we don't have peace in our world and peace in our families and peace in our homes and hearts is because we're at war. We're at war with ourselves. We're at war with one another. We're at war with God. The story of the world is simple, and it's simply this. God created us for peace. When God had the world as He wanted it, human beings enjoyed peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with creation. But then we turned our back on God. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. You know the story which was a decision to choose a different way from God's way and a different path from God's path. And that different path was away from peace. It was rebellion. It was war. We read in Genesis the immediate effects of their disobedience included distance from God, division in their own relationship with each other, and discomfort with themselves and comfort in their own skin. Isaiah goes on to make a second point. For from Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord for Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and impose terms of peace on many people. What does that mean? Well, in this time to come, the Lord himself, the living God, will judge between nations who are at war to impose terms of peace. His presence will bring, bring peace among the nations. Think of it like a parent stepping in to break up a fight among children, or a police officer intervening in an altercation. Sometimes the very presence of the authority figure can establish peace if we're mindful of that presence. God is present. God is present always and everywhere, but we forget about that. We forget about God as we try to fight for ourselves. Conversely, a growing sense of peace comes from a growing sense of God, attentive to what Isaiah calls his instruction and his word. That's what we call Scripture. Isaiah makes one other point, one final point that we'll look at today, and it's quite interesting. He wrote, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation shall not rise this, raise the sword against another, nor shall they train for war again. When God rules and reigns in people's hearts, they put away their weapons of war. In the time of Isaiah, the principal weapon of war, war were swords and spears. In Isaiah's vision, people trade those weapons of violence for farming tools. Why? Well, the image of beating swords into plowshares, a plowshare is a, a part of the plow that helps break up the ground so that seeds can be sown. 
Spears were metal rods readapted in this image as pruning hooks to trim trees and stimulate growth. In his vision, people will no longer train for, for war. They will no longer consider how to war and fight with one another. Instead, they'll be concerned with fruitfulness and productivity. Same for us. We need to put down our weapons of war. If we really want peace, we need to put down our weapons of war. The weapons we wield might not be swords and spears, but they can be just as sharp. Sarcasm, gossip, complaint, aggressive behavior, passive-aggressive behavior, anger. And that's just my list. <laughs> we all have our own particular ways of fighting, and we can only end our part of the conflict. Isaiah calls it, quite poetically, walking in the light of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, our light, showing us how to follow His paths and His ways, be mindful of His presence in our daily lives, and therefore come to know His peace. One of the very last things the Lord said at the Last Supper the night before He died sums it up best. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. He wants to give us a peace the world cannot give and a peace the world cannot take away. In another place in Scripture, St. Paul elaborates further on that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Peace, profound peace, God-given peace, really is within our reach. A peace that includes joy and purpose in every area of your life. Peace that ensures times of anxiety or moments of frustration are only bumps in the road. A peace in which flashes of worry or doubt or, or bursts of anger become opportunities for prayer. We're not talking about perfect. We're talking about peace. So this Advent, why not take some time out to really consider peace in your hearts, in your homes this Christmas? What are the weapons of war that are your weapons of choice? Can you lay them down, or better yet, can they become something else, something fruitful and productive instead? To make that happen, commit this Advent to a daily quiet time, even five or six minutes a day. If you already have a quiet time, recommit to it and put more time into it. To help you out with that commitment and to help make it really happen, we have a guide for you, a devotional for the season. Tom Corcoran, my associate, and I wrote, just recently published by Ave Maria Press. This is hot off the press. You can pick up your uh, copy from our greeters after Mass today. This is our gift to you. We need to understand peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found 
in the presence of God.